Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today, my guest is Mike Grant, and he is going to share his own recovery story and how he used running as a tool to help him through that process of recovery and, in a way, give him the skills to do that. And he's also going to talk about his book, Remaking a Sandwich, and he talks about the title and the story behind that. I think it's great. I really loved it. So I hope you enjoy that as well. And let's go ahead and start the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Mike Grant, and he is the author of Remaking a Sandwich. And he's also an alcohol and drug counselor. And Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> why don't you start up and tell us about you? There's a lot of things there. Yeah, I did uh, recently publish my first book, Remaking a Sandwich. I am a person who identifies in recovery. I got about almost 10 years, getting close to 10 years. I work in a healthcare system uh, as a LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. I have a MSW from PSU, and I work in addiction primarily is what I do. I enjoy running. I do ultra running, start a running club here in Portland, Oregon, where I live for people who identify in recovery. We have organized runs. We run races together. It's really cool stuff. And I awesome. uh, I'm a part-time teacher at a community college here in the alcohol and drug counseling program. Awesome. So a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom to bring. So I, I'm excited to talk to you um, about your book and and uh, you know how you how you came up with that title. I like that. And then also just I'd love to talk about running. I've done a, a little bit of running. We can talk more about that. Definitely not ultra marathoning. But love to talk about how that goes into recovery. But before we start, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your own story. Well, for sure. Uh, alcohol is my primary 
substance. I dabbled in just about everything else, but it was primarily around my relationship with alcohol. Part of my story is being a habitual DUI offender, um, driving under the influence. That's really how I was able to change my life with the help of Multnomah County probation after multiple DUI offenses. I was born in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and we, from reservation area, we have a little Native American uh, heritage in our family. And so there's, you know, like a lot of family trees, there's some branches on our trees that has some alcoholism. And right, right. Yeah, grew up with some things that happened in the home and had some anger and drank for the first time at 13 and found something that was going to help me for many, many years. At least that's what I thought until it didn't. Until it didn't. That's right. That's right. So you got to a point where you had to have these DUIs. You had to, sounds like in a way, kind of be forced into changing. Oh, for sure. I needed mandated treatment for myself. The last DUI I got, my son, I have a 14-year-old son now, just about to be 14. He was four, about to be four. And it was time to change because this was like the first time that consequences of my drinking were going to affect him negatively. And so I was sick and tired, you know, as they say in the meetings, and I was tired of backtracking my life with law issues or financial issues or all those things that I couldn't juggle or keep straight because of my relationship with alcohol. And so right, you just got tired. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 look at my last DUI. Thankfully, no one got injured. I cracked a clavicle. I crashed a a moped into a van in my last offense. And so I cracked a clavicle, went to um, the drunk tank, as they call it, and uh, woke up and had some options ahead of me and did a three-year-long diversion program that was pretty intense and changed my life. I've been sober uh, ever since I started that program. Wow, that's a pretty long program. That's like three years of of work, and that was required. Yes, it was a a year of. It's called DISP. It's something that Multnomah County has, and it's like an intensive diversion for folks who the six month program or the three month program didn't really cut it for. So right. it was a right. year long treatment program, color coded UAs for three years. You were in probation for three years, getting slips signed all the things that come with it, the financial cost of the first eight months to a year was the most challenging aspect. Most difficult thing I've ever done in my life um, was to pay for all the things that I had to do on an income that couldn't afford those things while like managing stress without alcohol for the first time. Right. So I have a a question. When when did... You know, that's that's a long time. And I, and I think sometimes that's that's needed for some people in recovery. They need that support to really change their brain and change that dynamic. For you, when did the program become something I guess you wanted to do? I don't know. Like sometimes you're forced into it and that's what I make up. And then, and then as you get recovery, that process can be something you look forward to. Well, I I know that I wanted to go into this program. I didn't have any self-efficacy. I didn't have the belief in myself that I could do this. There was still an unknown if I was going to be able to do three years. And I always had this, at least at the beginning, I had this like caveat of like, 
well, in three years, I'm going to be okay. I could probably have a drink then. It was like in case of emergency break glass, I had that like bottle in a glass container that I was going to get to crack open in three years because I was going to fix everything and I was going to be able to manage it. I would never been able to like set goals and knock things out. So I would I would make some progress in something and then alcohol would knock me back or my behaviors while drinking would knock me back. So I was never ever able to get momentum. Great ideas, never be able to like set goals and achieve them. And a lot of different things right. happen in those first eight months around starting to run and having running goals, starting to like clean some things up. I had a great counselor who kind of motivated me and I had thought about actually becoming a counselor. That was when this happened. Went back to school, had some things fortunately happen where I was able to go back to school because I'm a veteran and had like this veterans assistance program that like helped me out the first year. And so goal setting, running, setting these goals, like it was nice to have a purpose and something to drive for. And I was seeing results for the first time and really got hooked on it. And I mean, almost like, you know, we say like you get addicted to running. It, it felt like that goal setting and achievement and belief in myself became something that I like longed for and like craved. So it's almost like you started making that progress and you could see that progress and that gave you something to really hold on to, to keep pushing forward through this difficult stuff, all this difficult time. Yeah, totally. And, and the, you know, so I started running. I had a roommate who told me, whenever you want to drink, just go for a run. And it was like very sage wisdom advice because I didn't know how to manage my emotions. I was always on my sleeve. I would like have outbursts and then have to apologize for it afterwards because of arrested development. I learned how to manage emotions with alcohol since the age of 13. And so- right. right financial insecurity stress i was i was beginning a co-parenting relationship with my son's mom at the first time which regardless of who you are has some complications so there's stress involved in that and so plus the i was broke i didn't have any money because i was paying for this like probation program so i would just run to a park and my kid would play at the park for a little while and then i would run back and the parks were really close because i couldn't run very far and so right, we right. And we would just go to farther parks, farther parks. And I just started to feel better about myself. So was running a part of your life prior to this recovery or did it develop through the recovery process? I've had periods where I, I've ran. I grew up playing sports, playing football and Michigan is kind of a religion, really. There's running associated with that. I was a I'm a veteran, so. I went into the army from 18 to 21 and regardless of how much I drank that night before at 6am, I'm running Monday through Friday. And so, and then farther on, I would have periods where I would run and enjoyed running. But as I got older and had a child and, you know, you get domesticated, Mm -hmm. you're eating three meals a day, you're having drinks at night with it. Just the runs became seldom. Never was right, a runner because right. I couldn't put forth like a running program. I couldn't do three runs in a week. So you started organizing your your life around this process and it gave you some meaning. It gave you some purpose. It gave you some hope. It was something you could do to regulate your emotions and help you through that. And it sounds like that started to help you see that progress and you could put more into it, keep 
investing in it. Exactly. It's exactly what happened. And, you know, like I remember clearly like running seven miles for the first time after like a few months of running. And it just like boggled my mind that like I was capable of doing that. So there's like wow. cool moments that came with it. And now you're doing ultra marathons, which that's like 50, 100 miles. That sounds impossible, but I guess it's not impossible, but it sounds impossible to me. I totally get that. And it seemed impossible to me as well. And, you know, this starts from running to a park that's a half a mile away and then running back and then nine and a half years later, you know, and then started. I So along the process, I, I started to get pretty good at the sports and I started running marathons. And so we started this running club here in Portland and we have this amazing coach who's in long term recovery and he's an ultra running and it's that like surround yourself with people who have what you want and have the good energy and this person and this community that's associated with ultra running community is something that I wanted. And I'm like, I love this energy. I love this, but I can't do that. I can't do that. And, you know, you get to a point where like I've shifted this perspective of like, I, you know, shame based thinking where I can't do something to why can't I? Right. I really live with like, why can't I? Because I see other people and they're not extraordinary. They just set right, goals, yeah. do stuff, you know, take accountability for themselves and, and, and get to that point. And I'm, if other people can do it, why can't I? And I, I feel like that's something that's whatever your goals might be, other people are doing it and you can do the same. That's a huge mental shift to be able to switch from that. I can't do it to, hey, why can't I do it? And just that whole frame of thinking that comes out of starting to get into recovery is is really profound. It, it, it's a fun place to live life from, especially when there's a contrast to who you've been when you don't think that you could do anything. So you won't even like put yourself in that position to try because it's just going to be like another failure. I used to right. say like expect the worst and then you won't be disappointed. And so, right. but now... You know, like, and to have a career, like I, I worked in delis and I bartended and I did all this like service industry, which are great jobs. And, you know, we need this and it's, it's, a, it's a needed service, but it wasn't like fulfilling me in a way that, because I mean, any jobs work. I mean, I don't care what you do for a living. There's going to be a Wednesday where you don't want to get up. But if you actually like enjoy the work that you're doing, it can make a work week more tolerable and getting to stay connected to addiction and work with people in active addiction really serves a purpose. It gives back and it connects me to the rawness of what addiction is. So there's no romanticizing it from the side of recovery because I see what it's like. Right. And you said earlier that you started drinking at like 13 and kind of stunted that emotional development, the emotional skill set you needed to make good decisions in your life that are valuable to you and so i guess getting in the program and starting this running started to give you some of those skills i say that this program that i was in this diversion program was like a life management program more than a non-drinking like i learned how to live life in a lot of ways and i do i agree with with what you're saying like the running is i mean running is a metaphor for so many things like you have to do it no one can do it for you you set goals, you get out there and do it. 
I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with EMDR therapy, but there's a lot of um, absolutely bilateral stimulation is a big part of that. And so when you're moving both sides of your body and doing certain things, it allows the hemispheres of your brain to communicate with each other and you can like work things through and process things. That's the Cliff Notes version of EMDR. But I think that in many of the runs that I've had, I've allowed myself to process things and think through things and manage emotions and get to a place at the other side of it where I have a better understanding than I did when I started. And so that right. was definitely crucial in early recovery. I had no idea that that was happening. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I feel better because I didn't have like the under educational understanding like, oh, my, I'm, my brain hemispheres are connecting. This is great. It's it's almost like a meditation. I've done some running. I've been able to do two half marathons in my life. So I have some experience in yeah. getting into that that zone of kind of I don't know, it's a contemplative zone when you're when you're in that state. It's almost like a meditation. Mhm. Exactly. It is. And I would imagine in both of those half marathons you had times where they were very challenging. And your brain Absolutely. was trying to tell you all of these like negative things and how hard it is. And you have to like work through those and overcome those. And that's another metaphor for life. Like not every Thursday is going to be great. And so we have to like be able to work through those things and understand that our mind's like a doomsday prepper, right? So uh, in a lot yeah. of ways, so it's trying to make you think that this is a way bigger situation than what it is. So if you can like, center yourself, work through that, get on the other side of those thoughts, not allow them to have that power. You can get through things that life's hurdles as they come. And I would ma imagine, you know, doing an ultra marathon, right. And you're, you're looking at like a hundred miles that you really probably go through ups and downs in that process where you go really low and you have to keep your energy going and then probably feel really good and you keep your energy going, but you're still going towards a goal. You're still working through that goal, which is, I think is a really great metaphor for like recovery almost. That's what I'm thinking that comes to my mind. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can sit here and fill this whole rest of the time with just the 100 race mile race that I ran and exactly what you're saying. It's segments. It's like many different races in a race. And you're not looking, you can't look at a hundred mile distance. You have to look at, I have seven miles to the next aid station. And that's what I need to like focus on and get to that point. But like biologically, like your body is switching from carbs and fats, which creates like discomfort. And so you have to like process that and understand that that's a normal biological thing that's happening in your body. And so it's not your brain's telling you, oh my God, you're hurting, you're, you're, you're uncomfortable. And so you have to just work through that. No, this is expected. This is a hundred mile run. And so your body's doing what it needs to do. It's almost like building that distress tolerance skill. So you For can sure. weather the distress and still keep focused on that. Maybe not the long, long, long-term goal, but you know, that kind of immediate goal. I just got to get to this spot right here and I'll, and then I'll deal with the next, next phase. The next hurdle, for sure. That's exactly how it comes. It's, and it's interesting that this sport of ultra running, like the median age is about my age, which I'm 45 years old. And so we have a lot of folks who have lived some life 
and may right. not have had like all easy days. And I think that you need that grit a little bit in this sport and in life to know that, well, this didn't kill me. Like I'm going to be okay at the end of this. I like, someone told me like about a hundred mile run is it's one of those activities that you do in life that you're not the same person on the other side. And I, I think that's kind of cool to get to do things like that. Yeah, that's amazing. And you talk about that grit and that's when you're in recovery, grit and, and building grit is so important because you got to weather some difficult things For emotionally, sure. your life, you know, usually when you're struggling with addiction, you got issues in your life that are a mess. Like you said, you got DUIs, you got to clean up or relationships, you got to clean up, you got to have grit to keep pushing through. I, and I think grit's a transferable skill from your addiction. Like it's, yeah. it's a hard task out there to maintain a relationship, maintain your uh, alcoholism or whatever your substance of choice is while like trying to do life. It's a challenging way to live. And so if you're, I mean, everything's educational. So if you can use those skills that you learned in your addiction and bring them to your recovery, that grit will get you far. That's why there's a lot of folks who are in recovery, who do pretty well for themselves is because they have a skill base of yeah, yeah. overcoming things. Yeah. And it's that, it's that tr transition in thought, like what you said earlier, being able to look at it from a different perspective and see it as a value and, and be able to pull that out and then work to change your life. Yeah, exactly. And it, it it's this whole thing. And that's the whole perspective and like, like when I said earlier, like self-efficacy, like this belief in myself that I could live this different lifestyle, which, yeah, which if, you know, like as a person who experienced a lot of shame growing up and Renee read everything Brene Brown wrote and well, oh my God, that's me. Like, finally, like someone's telling <laughs> right. me like, what's going on? Like realizing like, that's like, that's my thought pattern. And so to be able to shift that and believe that and live by that is freeing. And it, like I say, it's a fun way to live. And so, you know, writing a book, which I don't believe that I'm a very strong writer, uh, but I think that I'm a pretty decent storyteller. And so, whereas in the past, I would have shot this idea down, or there's so many obstacles in the way of starting to completion that I would have, I would have stopped at one point and given up. Right, right. And so even with that, like, why can't I? And, and it's hard because I am reading like Brene Brown books and Malcolm Gladwell books and like all these amazing authors. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're writing a book called Remaking a Sandwich. What are you even thinking? And so right, it's just, right. this, you know, it's just this internal challenge that you have with like anything that's worth something. Right. Is you got to do it and take that chance and that risk. But it's like what you're showing me as as I'm listening to you is taking all those skills you learned in running the the grit looking at just a little bit in front of you changing your your thinking and then applying it now to this and and writing this book so that that's amazing and to be able to see that process that's really cool yeah and I you know the great thing about it is this is kind of like a tortoise in the hair kind of thing like most of these things took like, I mean, a hundred mile run came nine years into running. You know, right. I went through school and got a master's degree. So that was six years of my recovery was in school. 
going through that part. The book took three years plus. So this doesn't have like life doesn't have to be changed overnight. You just like do little consistent things uh, and get back to it. And monumental things can happen in 10 years. Absolutely. So this is your memoir. And so I want to understand the title, Remaking a Sandwich, and why you chose that and why that's meaningful to you. Well, so a little backstory is that, I, like I said earlier, I worked in like delis and grocery stores and I bartended. Well, I used to work on this street in Portland, Oregon, and I worked at a deli and I bartended at this bar. So during the day, I would ride my bike up and down this like pretty hip, cool, gentrified street delivering sandwiches all day. And so the owner of this bar looks out one day, he's standing outside and he goes, there goes Sandwich Mike. And so this uh-huh. nickname stuck And a humongous portion of the people that I know in Portland call me Sandwich is like a, a, a nickname, which was kind of this person in addiction, this bartender, you know, fun loving right. guy who went too far every now and then. And so it, uh, definitely an identity that I was, I was this, I was Sandwich Mike. And so I lived by that. Well, got sober and a friend of mine said, if you do write this book, you should call it Making a Sandwich. And I'm like, that's so good. I might write the book just because of how good that title is. Just that good title, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, and I had an editor who helped me with with this book and she's like, hey, I wanna talk to you about the title. And when you're working with an editor, it's a really vulnerable thing because you're kind of being told like all the errors that you're making. And so she was like, I wanted to talk about the title. And I'm like, that's the one thing we can't talk about. And then she brought (laughs) up, well, Sandwich is kind of this person who was in addiction. And yes, this is the story of how you became that, but it's also the story of how you became something different. And she's like, what about remaking a sandwich? And I'm like, yeah, you're brilliant. I was like, it's so good. And so that's the origin of the name. Yeah. And you've got the 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 re in brackets, which I love mm-hmm. because it's got both meanings about it. And I, I love that you share that story because it really shows that. And then it also, like when I see it, I, I think about, you know, there's a formula to making a sandwich. There's kind of steps to making a sandwich and there's things you can do to remake a sandwich. Totally. If the metaphor for this is sandwich, Mike, and alcoholic, there's definitely a recipe that went in to make that. Right. You know, a little genetic predisposition, some vulnerability risk factors with like parental divorce and alcohol in the home and like other things like that and some anger issues. So that batch of a formula, early alcohol use, and then creating an environment that was pro-alcohol use for several years up until the point of intervention creates sandwich money. It's definitely like a recipe. Yeah, absolutely. What do you hope people, when they read this, what do you hope they're going to get out of it? What are they going to pull from it? I would hope that, you know, the book is totally intended for um, people in recovery or people in addiction. And so just understanding like the thoughts that you have and like how those thoughts have power and how thoughts can be shifted, I think is kind of the big takeaway And that, you know, like life is messy and beating yourself up over it isn't going to help. I think the other piece is trying to find some sort of or develop some sort of like coping mechanism that helps you manage your emotions and life as it comes. Life on life terms. 
And so we're running is for me. You got to find that thing for you because this is a hard, I mean, adulting and uh, life is challenging. It's also um, extremely rewarding and has beautiful, beautiful moments, but it also has really tough times as we all know in the last few years. And how do you take all of this kind of, I'm going to call it hard one wisdom to your clients that you're working with at the facility that you work at? How do you bring all this to them? I think the main thing with what I do is just not judging folks and just sitting with them. I mean, usually the people that I see have seen so many people who wear similar titles as myself. And so if I'm coming in there with any sort of like judgment and not realizing the grit that we talked about earlier that they have and this resiliency that they have, we're we're not going to get anywhere. So like number one is that is just going in with some understanding, some acceptance, and just trying to be real with them and and talk to them. And where moments moments in a therapeutic relationship will come, which will allow for some time for possibly some wisdom to come. Really, though, I want to, as a therapist, um, I want you to come to your own wisdoms. Um, Right, by just right, like yeah. evoking that out of you and just having some skills to like help in that like direction. But certain patients or clients or whoever you work with, there's a modeling that happens as well. And so just modeling health and recovery and happiness and humility and understanding that, you know, we all have mistakes and there's days where I'm not a good dad and there's days where I'm not a good therapist and, you know, I'll try and be better tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, Usually with addiction, there's already so much shame and feelings of self-loathing and regret and all of that, that creating that non-judgmental safe place for the person to just begin that journey, just that process is just so critically important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I like to like, you know, help them see that substances you know, it's a relationship that you have with these things. They're your boo in a lot of ways. They, they've known you for longer and they know you as well as anything in your life. And so, but just like other relationships, sometimes you need to get away from unhealthy relationships. So really like investigating what is this doing for you and what are your goals and values? And is this aligning with those? Awesome. Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the addicted mind as usual there's always like one question i love to ask anybody who comes on to the addicted mind is before we go if you had one thing you could say to somebody out there who's struggling hurting what would you want to tell them what would you want to say to them this is a really good question uh i would (laughs) say that the life that is possible for you is beyond your ability to see at this point because you have blinders that come up from the life that you've lived and the life that you've lived with a substance. Just like any disease, addiction has a treatment plan that will work and you can have a life beyond your ability to fathom at this point. But it takes one day at a time and there's no shame in asking for help and needing help. And so ask for it, need it, There's a meeting of some sort within a few miles of you anywhere in this country. It's a good place to start. If you need any other support, look it up. 
and and start the process. You can remake that sandwich that you're talking you can totally about. Totally remake a sandwich. I, I mean, you could totally do it. I'm just a dude in a lot of ways, you know. Like I have put right. forth a lot of good one days in a row. There's nothing extraordinary about me. I'm just like all the other people who are contemplating that change. I had some mandated treatment that helped me in the first few years of mine. And if you don't have that, you have to get some accountability um, from something or someone. But it can to be help done you in that process. Yeah, yeah, it totally can be done. Absolutely. Where can people find you if they want more information about you? They want to find your book. How can they find you? I have a, a website called remakingasandwich.com. You can find me on there. I have Facebook and Instagram pages with Remaking a Sandwich. So I'm on I'm on those pretty regularly. Awesome, Mike. And I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Mike, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. I just really appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. I've seen and listened to some of your guests and they're brilliant. And just to be on there with them is, is humbling. So thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. And don't forget, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or write a review wherever you get your podcast. I'd really appreciate it. It is really nice to hear from you and to see that this podcast is meaningful and helpful to so many of you. And if you would like to continue the conversation, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and you can continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Aaron. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.